Patrick, thanks for joining me, being here. Great to be with you, Lee. On, on this side of the pond. Um, so, so you do great work over at uh, 21stCenturyWire.com. And it's great independent journalism. Did, did, was that an active choice to kind of go the independent route in, instead of mainstream media? Um, how did you end up there? I, I had no formal training in journalism. Mm -hmm. uh, my training and my skills were in uh, public relations, marketing, and uh, creative on the creative side, on the design side, actually. But I got into journalism through activism. So mm -hmm. uh, I'd say the Iraq war was a, a major a wake -up call? watershed moment in uh, my life and many other people's lives. Where were you when that was happening? Were you in the UK then? I was in London, yeah. so I was one of those two million people on the streets. The uh, marches were huge, they, massive. They were. There were a and, lot of amazing and, people there. And it, 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 to me, and, and you know, that that also helped wake me up was that uh, Iraq War uh, invasion. Um, it, it showed that you could have very large people power in the streets, and the politicians didn't care. They wanted to obliterate that country. It didn't matter how many people marched to say, we are not supporting this. Yeah. What's funny is uh, this, the, the, the war vote for Syria, which was uh, just after the uh, supposed chemical weapons attack in East Ghouta in August 2013, there weren't a lot of people out in the streets, but there was a flood of letters to mm -hmm. MPs, mm -hmm. and that uh, war vote was defeated, uh, which David Cameron conceded on the day, and that just shows you there was less people in the streets, but the one thing that politicians fear the most is not being politicians the next, <laughs> the next term. So that was a, a, also a learning. Oh, losing the job, yeah. Learning yeah, process yeah. there. Uh, since you brought up Syria, like, do you see much difference in the kind of bullshit we were fed with Iraq to manufacture that war and the bullshit we're fed with Syria to manufacture our, not just our bombing, but also our, you know, endless sanction, arming of rebels and, you know, these moderate rebels that don't actually exist that we arm and train? The moderate unicorns. Yeah, <laughs> there, there, there are a lot of similarities. Uh, and you mentioned sanctions. That's one of them. The sanctions that are on Syria right now with similar types of embargo and sanctions that were on Iraq, but from the first Gulf War to the second Gulf War. So that was 12 years until the second uh, Gulf War, the invasion in 2003. So we could, uh, the U.S. could be targeting Syria in 10 years' time. Currently, they're trying to weaken it. But it's much more sophisticated what you're seeing with Syria because this was a proxy war. Mm -hmm. So this uh, neocons, Republicans tend to do their imperialism over the table. Democrats and liberals do it under the table and employ proxies. Because the Democrats have to pretend like they actually care about humanitarian causes. Yeah, so the responsibility to protect is applied by neocons and uh, neoliberals, but it's executed in, in a different way. So, and it was really important for Obama to maintain some distance uh, or some different, to differentiate himself from the previous administration, but the damage uh, is just as uh, widespread. Uh, the, ho the horror on the ground, I've been on the ground during the war in Syria, and I've also seen the aftermath on the ground in Iraq, and we'll, it's equally as, as uh, devastating. It's e right. more so in Iraq, actually, just the, the infrastructure has not been repaired. It was there in 2017. It's in very bad shape, dire shape, actually. Um, it's not going to get uh, repaired in the next generation in some right. cases. So that's a really, diff it was very difficult for me to, to, to see that afterwards, after so many years of covering Yeah, that. I mean, I guess we shouldn't find it that surprising that if we're going to destroy a society, we don't 
our government doesn't then care to really do the work to rebuild it. Like, the, I mean, money just disappears, trillions of dollars missing at the Pentagon uh, that could be used to rebuild these societies. Yeah, and bottled, bottled water for the next 20 years because you can't drink what's out of the tap. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's life for a lot of Iraqis in, in every town, village, and city has some degree of this sort of dysfunction and infrastructure. Uh, one more question as long as we're on Syria. Uh, where do you see that going now? Where do you, what are, because basically the U.S. has, I mean, we've kind of lost this, although I think creating a, a destroyed country was a bit of a win for our geopolitical power. But do you think America's going to, are we going to keep being involved in this in Syria? If you look at the policies from the Obama administration to the Trump administration, there's absolute continuity because all of Obama's uh, policy advisors were very high and keen on working with the Kurds in northeastern Syria, and that was sort of laying the groundwork to occupy uh, effectively thir a third of Syria. But it's an important third because this is where the oil is, this is where gas is, but it's also the agricultural breadbasket of the country as well. So imagine cutting Syria off from its own oil supplies, which uh, the sale of which to Europe before sanctions, before 2011, uh, funded most of its education, most of its health care. And so there's an embargo on Syria. They're strangling it during the ISIS occupation of that same area, right. which ISIS handed over to the Kurdish SDF in the United States, who occupy the same oil fields. Uh, during that time, uh, Syria, in some cases, had nowhere to buy fuel, had nowhere to buy oil. They had to buy it on the black market from people who were squatting it, basically. So yeah, talk talk a little bit more about our our sanctions, which I feel like is this kind of euphemism that we use when really it's economic war. I mean, people do die. The you know a recent report showed forty thousand had died in Venezuela from our economic war on them. But yeah, talk a little about that, not just in Syria, but uh, North Korea, Venezuela, Iran now. Yeah, sanctions are, are definitely a form of collective punishment, but you have to also look at it in the context of U.S. grand strategy. U.S. grand strategy from post-World War II till now, uh, really till now, has been an extended deterrence. This is a military deterrence, collective defense pacts with uh, Japan, uh, occupation of Germany effectively, militarily, so providing security for Europe and for the Pacific uh, based on, let's say, what's previously uh, keeping Germany from nationalizing its defense or Japan from doing what it did uh, before the Second World War. And then it morphed into the Cold War, that being the sort of dominating raison d'etre of U.S. Uh, extended deterrence. So now the U.S. is running into a problem. The, the threats aren't necessarily there anymore. Mm. Uh, the Cold War is not there. There's potential peace in the Korean Peninsula. So how do you justify that level of extended deterrence? You're going to eventually have to pull back your military assets. Right. But you still want to maintain your power. And how do you do this? You do this by waging uh, financial warfare, economic warfare. And this is seen as the moral option in the United States. If you ask most Americans to say that's preferable to, you know, guns, but you know, we can pull our we can pull our tanks back, our aircraft carriers back out of the Persian Gulf, out of everywhere. But the dollars remain in the central banks of all these countries and the interest rates are controlled by the New York Federal Reserve mm -hmm. who can make money cheap 
and get people on debt and then make money expensive and force countries to sell their assets to make cash or sell their gold reserves. And this is a cycle the U.S. plays constantly. So our financial power is equally as great right. or greater than our military power. Well, that's something that, that you know, I've covered a little bit on Redacted tonight, but it's not really talked about that much, is that most of these countries we've invaded that seem to really get the, the brunt of our ire They've all dropped the dollar, or they're outside of the, the central banking tentacles, you know, Syria, mm -hmm. Libya, Iran, uh, Iraq. Uh, I mean, it seems to be a theme. There's, there's a movement there sort of to get off the dollar, uh, to get out of the dollar networks, because this is how the U.S. enforces sanctions, through dollar, dollar mechanisms. But the problem is there's very little liquid currencies on the, on the planet that are used to buy commodities. So in other words, uh, you need one currency to buy, buy and sell commodities so that if, to defend against price fluctuations, mm -hmm. you could lose a lot of money between Monday and Friday if you're trading between rupees and, and huans. Right. This is why the U.S. has established a reserve currency. It was very smart to do this to, to fund also its global hegemony, uh, but also to control all of these markets and countries. So it's very difficult to get off it. It'd be like a, a, the heroin addict trying to get off heroin if the price of heroin went down to almost zero, because that's what money is. Mm -hmm. it's, it, you get addicted to debt, and countries in Africa, in Asia, and South America, what are they going to do when the, when the money is so cheap? When well, and we, we addicted them to debt on purpose. I mean, part of right. the World Bank and the IMF was, we'll give you all this free money, and yeah, you'll owe us later, but you know, don't worry about that for a few years. Yeah. So and there's a right now, if we raise interest rates, there's going to be a liquidity crisis. There's going to be no cash available. So what do people do? They sell their assets off. And I just found my segue to our next topic. Uh, Ecuador, the day after they gave up Julian Assange, got their IMF loan for, what was it, tens of billions of dollars or something? Well, yeah, <laughs> 4.2 billion. 4.2 billion. There's another six in the pipeline, potentially. Right, so 10 so. billion, yeah. Uh, so they, they were looking for their IMF money, um, but so I wanted to get to Assange, and obviously there's, you know, it's horrific what's being done to him, you know, for basically revealing the war crimes perpetrated by Britain and America, and a, a lot, he revealed a lot about a lot of nations, um, so he's a man without a country in a lot of ways. And so he's being persecuted for that reason. And now, the, the, what happened the other day, the, the latest update is CNN had this exclusive where they're like, we have exclusive uh, knowledge that, you know, proof that Julian Assange did, you know, this and this in the embassy and he met with Russian, uh, I don't know if they called them Russian agents or Russians or what they said, but can you talk a little about this exclusive by CNN? It, it's difficult to know how to describe this story. Uh, other than it's an it's like an emporium of propaganda. Right. Think of every single talking point, every single bit of fiction that's been drifted out over the last three years, and put it all and wrap it up into one article, and call it an exclusive. And this is what the CNN report is. So you have to then firstly say why is this happening now? What look at the timing of it? Robert Mueller is uh, due uh, to testify in front mm -hmm. of Congress, so. Uh, there's a bit of preempting involved uh, by the media, so they're ratcheting up the demonization of Julian Assange. But there's something else at the very end of uh, July that uh, was due out as well. Well, well let me just uh, kind of clarify that the you know the Mueller report did not show the grand thing that all of the you know the mainstream media, the Democrats wanted it to show, which was this collusion with Russia. And now even.
even the, the kind of uh, little pieces of connection to Russia that Mueller tried to put in there, those are falling apart too. A D.C. federal judge just said that although you claim that they, this company put up Facebook ads, you've shown no connection to the Russian government. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's just like every little thing about this Russiagate is, is, is you know, evaporating. And so, like you said, this is perfect timing to be like, ah, but Assange is still connected to Russia, therefore Russia did the hack, here is the proof. So, I- and the, the language in it is, oh, potentially, you see all these uh, yeah. words in the CNN report, and that uh, it builds on, quote, builds on accusations made in Mueller's report, mm-hmm. uh, which catalog, quote, catalog all of the ways that WikiLeaks worked with the Russians, and then it references the Mueller report. So the accusations are sort of made. Uh, they're unfounded in most cases. The language is very sort of arbitrary. Uh, and they also link to the famous uh, intelligence community's assessment of the Russian meddling in January 2017, which uh, features your network. Yeah, in a, features RT. 30, uh, it's a programming yeah. guide of RT. R- RT America, where <laughs> they came out with this, do- the, the, our intelligence community put out a, a, a document or a report on how this network, RT, had, had influenced. And it said things like they uh, claim there's greed on Wall Street. Apparently, that's, that's now uh, propaganda, that there's greed on Wall Street. Uh, they hosted a third-party debate. Oh, dear God. Third parties were allowed to be heard by the American people? This is outrage. Very naughty yeah. on your part. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, um, and so that was a, that's a, at best a mass media uh, project for a high school course or something like yeah. that. And, but they're linking to that. And so they link to all these things. But um, what's more important, I think, is also the UN Special Rapporteur on Torture, Nils Melzer's full report is due out. Uh, at the end of uh, very end of January, beginning of August, and is he the one that that said Assange is being tortured? He said Assange is being tortured and also public mobbing, and this report by CNN it just validates what uh, Professor Nils Melzer said in his report. This is a type of defamation, public mobbing, reviving old accusations that have already been debunked. Mm -hmm. This is what CNN is doing. So they're validating the UN report by their sort of shoddy reporting. But more than that, uh, Julian Assange made the accusation that he was under surveillance. This was also in the Special Rapporteur's report. That was written off by the mainstream media's conspiracy paranoia. Mm -hmm. And guess what? They're referencing the surveillance of Assange, it's a fact, but done by a private firm, uh, UC Global, a Spanish firm. Right, that's the actual exclusive that came out in this, but of course CNN doesn't care, is that Assange, while he's you know supposed to be safe inside this embassy, is being monitored in every way All of his communication, private communication with lawyers, which is supposed to be private, all of it's being monitored, and that's the actual news that's being broken here. Yeah, and the other thing is, we've talked about this public mobbing is really important, so defamation, libel. Yeah, they they claimed all kinds of things. They claimed he was smearing feces on the walls without any evidence or proof, nothing. because there was a stain on the wall, and it got blown up in the British tabloids as smearing feces. So um, why is this important? Because this affects public opinion. This level of propaganda by CNN affects public opinion. And why is this very important right now? Because 
when Julian Assange goes to a hearing or goes on trial, whether in Britain or later if he's extradited to the United States, courts do not operate in a vacuum. Judges are part of society. Yeah. The, the judiciary reflects in many ways the values that are prevalent outside the courtroom. Mm -hmm. So public opinion means a lot, and that's where propaganda comes in. And so if the propaganda is affecting public opinion in a certain way, uh, it's going to determine the outcome possibly of the judgment. So well, it is important. Yeah, and speaking of the courts, you know, the, the next step, I guess, in, in less than a year now is, is whether Britain will extradite Assange to, you know, come over and to, a, to the U.S. to uh, go through banana court proceedings uh, here in the U.S. And the, I think it will come down to how much pressure they feel, because that would be unprecedented to, you know, send someone who's not an American citizen, who, you know, ha has 17 charges of espionage, you know, ridiculous indictment against him. And if they were to extradite him, it, w it would be a new precedent uh, against freedom of, of, of press and uh, a publisher who, by the way, never published anything false at WikiLeaks. Like, I just like to always repeat that. Nothing false ever reported on WikiLeaks. Compare that record to CNN and MS. NBC. But anyway, I, I think you're right that it will come down to whether there's pressure or whether he's made out to be a supervillain and they feel they have cover to extradite him. Well, there, was a, there was a hacker from Britain named Laurie Love. This was a very high profile case a few years ago. And there was a major move to get him extradited to the United States. The British courts uh, eventually gave up, ruled in his favor and he wasn't extradited, and that was because of a massive outflow mm -hmm. of personal and public support for him. That it, I, I believe that did affect the judgment by the judiciary. Now, if Julian Assange uh, has that level of support in Britain, that could uh, head off the U.S. efforts at the past. Now, will Julian Assange get extradited to the U.S.? Is that in the best interest of the U.S.? Because the Espionage Act of 1917 has never been tested really on a journalist. On a journalist. And yeah. it's very outdated. You know, the, the classification system of documents was invented in the 50s. So it, it, if he comes to the U.S., judges are going to have to rule on this. It could go to higher courts, to the Supreme Courts. Mm -hmm. I, you can stack the indictments as high as you want. And that yeah. doesn't mean that anything in there is of substance. Yeah. Indictments are very political. Yeah. Prosecutions are political. So it's all well and good to talk a big ball game now and throw the accusations around. But maybe the U.S. doesn't want to, at the end of the day, put the espionage to that test. Instead, lang he's languishing in prisons or house arrest in Europe. And the sword of Damocles sits over the necks of every journalist globally that the United States might exert universal jurisdiction to uh, apprehend them, to extradite them, right. the threat that, of it. That's not talked about enough is the chilling effect this just has on journalism that's in right. general. And in this last minute here, I just wanted to also uh, talk about the, the biggest Twitter account in support of Assange that has been going, uh, you know, nonstop to try and uh, protect him and help him. It, it was Unity4J was a, was the Twitter account, and it's just been deleted without, you know, any warning, without any. Here's why we're deleting it, um, and it's just it's just gone now. And so I was wondering if you could speak to that and and the censorship in general that that independent sources are facing. Well, speaking specifically about Unity for Jay, what, 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 how does that represent a threat to anybody? Yeah. These are activists coming together. These are uh, journalists, uh, figures, uh, advocates. This, but this scares the establishment. This is crowdsourced, creative uh, collaboration, mm -hmm. people getting together. And through that collaboration, their efforts are amplified many, many uh, fold. So this is a huge threat, and there's no money involved in this at all. The YouTube uh, yeah. channel has great 
in, in analysis on it. It is the best analysis on the legal analysis on the Assange case, on freedom of the press. You'll never find a better resource anywhere in the world. And it was all done voluntarily. Mm -hmm. That is a big threat to the establishment because you can't stop that level of crowdsourced cooperation all coming together on a single issue. That to me is the future of, of, of activism. Unity for J represents the best possible effort on a single issue. And I think that's why they feel so threatened by it. Well, let's hope that the, uh, them feeling threatened is because it's becoming more powerful and uh, the people are becoming more powerful. Uh, so your website is 21st Century Wire, as long as they let it keep remaining online, <laughs> but <laughs> until they censor that. Thank you so much for being here, Patrick. Thanks, Lee. That's our show, but I'm performing live in London, England in just a few weeks. Also, Madison, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Washington, D.C., and more. Tickets and details are at redactedtour.com, T-O-U-R.com. You can also sign up for our email list by texting the word redacted to 444-999. It's free and quick. Until next time, good night and keep fighting.